Earlier this month, we held a missions-intensive seminar with our brother Peter Neuberger that you heard in the most recent episode. These are the recordings from the sessions. We hope you are blessed. I really appreciate what Peter shared. That's number one. Number two, uh, today I want to speak a little bit about specifics because I think that sometimes in our Christianity, we don't have a specific instruction. And I find that if you don't have something specific, it's really easy to float and be non-committal and not deeply engaged. But when you have something really specific with a clear objective, it's easier to pour your life into it because the objective is clear. So I'll use Brett and Mary as an example right now. Their objective is to first adopt the kids and get them here. So now all of the time and money and resource and effort is aimed at that. Once they come here, <laughs> the objective now <laughs> is a different objective, okay? Which means you have to achieve the first objective before you get the new objectives, okay? So here is, I'm going to talk about something very strange because one, one of the things is that I believe is that I believe that people don't belong to people. So if you belong to me, you have my last name and I have to provide you with food and I have to spank you. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, you are not my people. You are God's people. So I asked the Lord, what do you want to speak to your people? So he said to me, I want you to look up the word mission. So I pull out my logos and I go Baptist and I, and, I, and I type in mission, New King James. And there is only two scriptures in the same chapter with this word mission. And I am um, kind of like a, a word person in the sense of like I like words. I like metaphors. I like multi-layered metaphors. I, you know, I, I like words. And many times, especially within the biblical text, the message is actually in the metaphor. Like, for example, I'll give you one, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get into my teaching. The Bible says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, which is beautiful. We made a song. They made a hymn. We cry. We sing it. But the real message in that metaphor is this, that the predator in the prey go to the same watering hole to drink. So to be thirsty and to drink is dangerous and it requires risk. And so the, the message there is in the metaphor. Because now if you're not from an agricultural society, you don't know anything. You know, maybe you see deers in your backyard. You're like, oh, that's beautiful. And maybe you have a backyard. Maybe you don't have a backyard. There's no deers. I'm sorry for any pain you're experiencing. But the reality of it is that there's the message in the metaphor. And so all through the Bible, there's, there's messages in, in, in metaphors. And so today I want to talk to you from 1 Samuel 15, which is to me, it didn't make any sense to me as to why I'm talking about this at a missions intensive until I understood kind of what the Lord 
was doing. And so one of the things that I would like to just propose to all of us is that if there's areas of bondage in our life, the results of bondage is self-sabotage. Okay? In other words, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the old dog leashes that they go out so far, so far, so far, so far, and then they run out of, you know, gas and it just chokes. Yeah. And it's just like the, either the dog gets choked or you get pulled, depending on who we're talking to. And so that, that's kind of like someone who is not free. They live with an elusive sense of freedom. But once once they get out far enough, they realize they're not actually free. And so what I've seen is that in a refusal to deal with your internal things in your life, what will happen is you will eventually self-sabotage yourself. So you don't need the devil to do it for you. Uh, you don't need, you know, someone who's spoken curses over you to do it for you. But eventually you'll do it for yourself if you don't get free. So I want to talk about some things that really would hinder us from fulfilling the specific mission that God has for our lives. And this is the thing that I, I find that it's very um, critical, especially as you, you grow in your calling and understanding your identity and understanding your vocation and understanding the new covenant and understanding the kingdom and how all these things work together. You get healed up and then you get to work. You see that in the gospel where there was a woman um, and, and uh, Peter, it was his mother-in-law. You know, she was sick, so she couldn't serve. As soon as she got well, immediately she was serving. And so one of the things that you find is that sick people don't serve because serving is according to the need, not according to your convenience. And when you're sick, you're preoccupied by your pain. So you can't serve a need because you have needs. That's why, you know, it's very critical that we, we allow the Lord to come in to spaces in our life that have been shut to him so that he can occupy and bring healing or else we will self-sabotage ourselves. And so Saul was the, the great example of this. And um, we're going to talk about him just for a few minutes and then we're going to wrap this up. So Samuel, this is in uh, first. Samuel 15, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Whose people? His people. They're not your people. They're his people. It's very important language. Now, therefore, hear the, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him. Look at how God sees Israel. He refers to Israel as him. He refers to a plurality of people and tribes as one person. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus, the Lord of hosts, I will. See that? I will. Punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way. When he came from Egypt, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Watch this. But kill both man, women, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. 
So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go and depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you show kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is the east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything, watch this, despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now, let me just say something because this is a hard passage. You're like, God is seemingly vicious here. And uh, so this is, so what do we do with this? Okay, so this is what you have to understand. This is the same idea as the flood. What did God do? God had to judge the world to save it. So it's the same thing in the Garden of Eden where God threw them out and he blocked the way to the tree of life. Why? Because if they would have eaten the tree of life in a fallen state, they would have been fallen forever. So that judgment was actually for their protection because it was speaking of a redemption. Well, you have the same thing happening with the flood. The flood is kind of like God pressing reset. Remember Nintendo, you put reset. It's kind of like him baptizing the earth because the intent of everyone was wicked. And so they would have self-destructed. And so God made a promise that from a seed, there would be a, a, a seed that crushes what? The serpent's head. So if you really go through the Old Covenant, just and if I could just reduce it down to one statement, it is the preservation of a seed. The New Covenant, in one sentence, is the revelation of a son. Okay? So now God is, is dispatching all of his resources and power to keep the seed alive because that's his covenant faithfulness to do what he said he was going to do. So he understood that these people of Amalek were completely given to evil and they had to be completely destroyed. Now, some of you, it's hard for you to understand this. You don't understand this. L let me just say this to you. There are certain people that, let's say I, you know, I go and I shoot someone's brother. There are certain people that will be like, yo, I lost a brother. That's it. There's other people that will do anything they can to kill me to kill my family, and to kill my children. Some people are built differently like that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just trying to help you to understand. So if these people are not removed, they're going to come back. I'm just, I'm just, I know this is not easy for you to handle, but I'm, just, I'm trying to help you understand that these people had to be completely wiped out because their intention was to destroy the people of Israel. And the problem with that is God made a promise to the people of Israel that was for the whole world. So now the enemy is trying to make war with the seed because there's a seed coming that is going to crush the serpent's head. So the enemy uses all of his power to try to destroy the seed. 
So God in his covenant faithfulness has to say, I cannot permit that from happening. So it wasn't like God was the originator of the violence and the one that was saying, I'm going to just kill everyone because I'm in a bad mood. God is just saying, no, no, you're just not going to prevent me from doing what I came to do. I love you. I'm for all of you. The promise is for all of the families and all of the nations, but you are not going to stop me. And anything that gets in my way will be removed. That's Bible. If you can't handle that, I'm sorry. I'm old school. I have this thing called the fear of the Lord. I don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges me. So that, that's just kind of how, how, how uh, I, that's how we were raised. You know, we don't accuse God, you know. So anyway, now verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Could you imagine God looking at someone and God himself having regret? Imagine God looking at you or me and going, I regret calling this guy to West New York. I regret sending that person to give this guy trouble. I regret the whole thing. I mean, God, God has feelings. Everyone is about feelings, feelings, my feelings. This is how I'm feeling. I'm not feeling seen, not feeling heard, not feeling appreciated. Have you ever considered how God feels? Come on. <laughs> you know, Jason up there is the only one. Show me the feelings of your heart. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, how does God feel? When he looks at a situation or person or circumstances, what is it that God thinks and how is it that God feels about a situation? So God looks at Saul and goes, man, I regret that. It's like, <laughs> you know, God's counseling himself. And that's the language here. God's going to talk to himself. Watch. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is there anything that you see that bothers you enough, that troubles you enough, for you to actually pray about it and be troubled by it and for it even to disturb you to the point where it takes away your sleep. The problem is that many times we care too much about things that don't matter and not enough about things that do matter. Okay. So now, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. <laughs> this is classic. Oh my gosh. For himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone through down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and this is classic. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Look at his lying devil, religious lying devil. God bless you, pastor. God bless you, prophet. Disingenuous and dishonest. Fake. Saul. And you know what makes Saul fake? Saul was untested. 
Saul stepped into a position of power untested. And until you're tested, we don't know if you're real. We don't know if something is real until it has been tested. There is no blue check. There is no certificate of authenticity. We just simply don't know until you've been tested. So now, here's Saul. This is, this is classic. But now Samuel has to deal with them. And, and let me just say something to you, that faithfulness leads to more responsibility. And it leads to dealing with a higher level of problems and more frequent problems and more expensive problems and more problems that when you first hear them are so bewildering that your first comments are, I have no idea what they even do or say about that. So you're going to have to give me some time to even let this settle because it's that crazy. So now Samuel's going to address him and this is not going to be good. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Immediately, Samuel is reading his mail. And Saul said, they have brought them they. See that? Watch the language Saul uses. Saul uses language where everything is depersonal. The deflector. Watch. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Not the Lord my God, the Lord your God. The people, <laughs> your God. You, you, you see that? The now, guess who Samuel is speaking to? The person that God is going to hold responsible. Not the people. God is not talking to the people. God does not talk to the people. God speaks to the leader, the set person in authority. I know we don't like that. People, we, people freeze up when you talk about that. They get, they get tightened up. This is who God is talking to. The one that he's going to hold responsible. So authority is not about just privilege. We love that word, privilege, privilege, privilege. Authority is about responsibility. And with responsibility comes privilege. And if you take advantage of that, that's a very bad idea. Now, and the rest have utterly destroyed. Okay, then Samuel said, be quiet. <laughs> Shut up. My pastor used to tell me that. Shut up. Don't say that. It would be me and Christian. He would tell him, Shut up. Don't say it. Shut up. Both of you shut up. Be quiet. 
The Lord would never say that. <laughs> it's because you don't know the Lord. Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? So when you were small, weren't you big? <laughs> you see, God doesn't see it the same. When you start seeing that you're big, you're small. When you see yourself as small, God says you're big. God doesn't see as we see. So if you want to sabotage yourself, you're going to just sweat yourself and have an inflated opinion of yourself, which is delusional. That's a great way to sabotage your success. Okay. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. <laughs> okay, watch this. Here's the mission. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. The Lord said, I will, I will, and he wanted to, I will, through Saul. God wants to, I will, through you. God wants you to be his hands and his feet, the way in which he executes his mission. And I'm not talking about going and killing a whole group of people. What I'm talking about is killing anything that would hinder us from serving the purposes of God in our life. Whatever will come against the mission, kill it. Don't let it breathe. Don't let it live. You don't need its spoils. This is like Saul. Saul takes the, 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 these, these sheep and they offer them to the Lord. It's like me selling drugs or me gambling and with the proceeds giving it to the Lord. That doesn't make any sense. The Lord doesn't need that. The Lord needs your heart, not your money. The Lord is looking for obedience, not sacrifice. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. See, when you are big in your own eyes and you set up monuments to yourself and, and you sweat yourself, you think somehow God needs you. You think somehow that God needs your idea. God needs you, does not need you. God chose you and says, listen, follow the specific instructions. Listen, if someone cannot follow simple instructions, they cannot be fully trusted. This is, this, is, this is how you get tested in life, in ministry, with influence, with resources, with people. If you cannot follow specific instructions, you are not ready for the mission. So the Lord sent you on a mission. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? 
Partial obedience is disobedience. This is a critical principle. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we should obey him. Jesus does not need a good idea for me or you. He doesn't need a slick idea. He needs someone who can completely and simply obey him. Someone who can execute the mission. In executing the mission, you prove yourself to be trustworthy and you get more responsibility. If not, your character issues sabotages your long-term success because pride is the reason while someone will not obey God and do what they want. This is, this is something that we have to get this down. This has to be very clear in our life. It is not about what you or I want. I'm sorry to tell you that. It is about what does Jesus want? What is the objective? Why are we on the mission? Who sent us on the mission? What is the objective? This is very clear. This is why, just for me personally, I really like movies with army and this and that because there is a clear objective. I like working out with a program because I know ahead of time I got to do this, 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 and this, and then I'm free. What are we doing? Why are you here? Like, even, even you, like today, you got to ask yourself, why are you here on a Saturday? I mean, I'm here because it's my job, but like, why are you here on a Saturday? What is it that the Lord has for you? What is it that he wants to deposit in you? Maybe what is the question even that he wants to have you ask later at our Q&A? Because we're going to do a Q&A and you guys are going to the ones to determine if it's good or not, not me. Because if you don't ask any good questions, then you get no good answers and there's no good dialogue. But many times there's very powerful things happen in the context of conversations. My life has been completely transformed in the right conversations. The problem is we listen to the wrong people. And we give people a voice who should be muted. Why would Saul listen to the people he was called to lead? And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be approachable. We shouldn't consider people. But why is it that the people that he was called to lead are leading him? Why is it that he operates in the fear of man and not in the fear of the Lord? The Lord is not going to deal with those people. <laughs> the Lord is going to deal with Saul. So Saul letting these rebellious people do whatever they want cost him his future. Okay. But the people, the deflector, the people took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So I'm going to disobey the Lord. I'm going to do something unethical for the purpose of economics. 
to give to the Lord. It's crazy. Don't do unethical things for the Lord. I'm going to disobey the Lord in the name of the Lord for the Lord. You have just made yourself the Lord. You see how that works? The Lord is not, doesn't need 9,000 burnt sheeps. The Lord needs his sheep to hear his voice and do what he says. And, 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 and this, is, this is the idea somehow. Okay. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, listen, is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now watch how God sees rebellion. We call it freedom. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This is so many Christians, I, I hate to say this, but so many Christians live under the spell of witchcraft because of rebellion. And here's, the, here's what we do. We, we love to dig through generational curses of our ancestors instead of changing our own life. <laughs> this is classic. They write whole books, books and books and books, generational this, generational that, this, that, that. Instead of, why don't you assume responsibility for your own life? This is so for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now watch stubbornness. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So you know what stubbornness is? The Lord wants to go this way and you want to go that way. You, you, like, you have a dog? Everyone likes dogs? The dog. Who's the master? Whose house you live in? Who feeds you? We're going this way. Kids, where do you... <laughs> because stubbornness is as iniquity. Do you know what iniquity is? Iniquity is not sin. Sin stops me from knowing God. Iniquity stops God from knowing me. Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Sin stops me from knowing God. Iniquity stops God from knowing me. In Jesus, all of this has been forgiven and broken. That's the good news. But in this context right here, he's giving a definition that stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because what is idolatry about? It is about the worshiping of other things. So in stubbornness, I am worshiping me, what I want. Which is like witchcraft. That is rebellion. So rebellion and stubbornness are heart attitudes of iniquity and idolatry. Are, are you guys with me? Which ultimately has you under a spell. Which is satanic in nature. This is obviously not God's will for his people, right? So because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. So that means that the authority that God gives us is based upon the submission of our lives. So you have as much of his authority as you're willing to submit to his authority. If you're not under authority, you don't have spiritual authority. Many people don't understand church and coming to church. They don't understand that because they don't understand spiritual authority. 
That's why it's so hard for them to make a commitment. That's why it's so hard for them to live above their feelings. Because they don't understand authority. You don't understand spiritual authority, guess what you'll live in? Bondage. Authority is not to control you. Authority is so that you can maintain health and freedom. So the enemy gives us bad experiences with authority so that we don't understand how authority works, so we don't operate in great faith. So which I'm going to do this another time, but anyway. Now, then Samuel, excuse me, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The fear of man always leads to bondage. In other words, you cannot fulfill the mission on your life or the assignment on your life as long as you fear what people think about you. You cannot love people well even if you're preoccupied with how they feel about you. Because instead of loving them and speaking the truth in love and instead of going low for them and trying to help them, you're trying to manage how they feel about you. It's not my job how you feel about me. If you don't respond to me, that's your issue. I'm not responsible for people who don't respond to me. When I learned that as a pastor, it was so freeing because I'm not internalizing their craziness. I love them, but their craziness doesn't live in me. I don't have no extra room. I need more room. I don't even have room for my sneakers, let alone your craziness. I can't, I can't handle your craziness. I got no room for that. So, so that you cannot internalize. So anyway, now, 24, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now watch, he's going to get to what, he really, what he's really about. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. His repentance was not sincere, was disingenuous. How do I know it was disingenuous? I'm going to show you in one second. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has tore the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. You mean God thinks people are better than other people? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God is loving, not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and also the strength, watch this, of Israel will not relent. In other words, because you failed, they're not going to fail. In other words, you can be replaced. I can be replaced. It's not like, you know, uh, you know a big, big name pastor falls or a little name pastor falls and God's like, oh my God, my kingdom's falling apart. God will get someone else. For he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Uh-oh. Anyone who seeks their own honor, anyone who demands an inheritance, doesn't deserve it and is not ready for it. Then, th th this is crazy. Then, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people. Whoa! All of a sudden, they're yours. See, th th this is a bad, bad, bad... His, if you see, he's very double-minded. 
He's all over the place. They're God's people. Now they're his people. It's the Lord, his God. And then we offer. He's like all he's like all over. He needs I don't know. He needs deliverance. And you're going to see because David ministers to him. Later. But anyway, so now this is important. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said. Let me, let me read this again, 30. Give me one second. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. <laughs> this guy. Do you hear this guy? You have to be careful. You, you have to listen very carefully to people's language. I'm actually in the habit of listening to people. And I listen and I go... One of the most difficult, can I tell you, can I be honest? <laughs> no, I don't offend anyone. Do you know one of the most difficult things to do is really listen to people? I mean, to listen to someone with love and with the intent of really understanding where they are. So that maybe you could be useful. Maybe. I have to control my faces. Because the New Jersey side of me just wants to be like. Because <laughs> it's not easy to really listen to people. Because when, when, you, when you listen, you find out where people are. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here. So Agag came to him cautiously. Agag is now shook. And Agag said, and Agag said surely the bitterness of death has passed. <laughs> Samuel's about to go psycho. Samuel, <laughs> oh man, See, this guy is confused. You know why? Because Samuel is not Saul. Samuel does not operate on feelings. Samuel is about mission. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless... Do you understand what that means? In the old, in the old days, they were in the habit of cutting women, cutting babies out of women. They do that in Planned Parenthood today. We'd sophisticate it. He was in the business of shattering and destroying people's lives, and then justice came. See, this is the thing. Many times people think everything is all good and that God's patience is his approval and then justice comes. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces, watch this, before the Lord. I know it's hard for people, they can't handle this. The Bible 
is not G-rated. The Bible is X-rated, is R-rated, and it's real life rated. So th this, is, this is something because the Lord knew that these people were only given to death and they must be cut off. In our new covenant context, we're not going out and hacking people up or shooting people or starting militias. But in the new covenant, we have to be in the habit of killing anything that would sabotage the mission. So that means that let's say you have a relationship that is going to try to pull you from the mission. My job is to kill that relationship and neutralize that relationship so that relationship has no permission to speak into the desired future that God has for my life. Maybe it's an idea, a belief, a habit, a sin, an offense. You name it. That the expression is not what's important. What is important is your willingness to execute aggressively, not passively, not passive aggressively, aggressive aggressive in anything that will try to hinder you from the mission. Because you cannot execute. God's will living in the fear of man. You cannot do it. Now, this is, this is intriguing. Watch this. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. One of the profound issues about God is the, the tension of God is that God is holy and he's a father. He's loving and he's completely just. He is abounding in mercy all generations. He doesn't run out of mercy. People run out of time. He's very good and patient, long-suffering, all of that is true, but there is also a day of reckoning. The scripture says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not says the devil. <laughs> it's like another story. And, and so Paul, even in Romans, when he talks about, you know, leaving place for vengeance, he's talking about you forgive, let God intervene. Don't take things into your own hands put it in the hands of God, and then he brings, he quotes Isaiah and says, vengeance is mine. In other words, God is merciful, God is patient, God is full of mercy, but there is a day where God will bring everything into account. God did not indiscriminately go and just kill people because he was angry or senile or crazy or he wanted more oil and more land and more uh, enriched, you know, uranium. And he just goes and starts bombing people. God is good. And his only thing is like, I made a promise. You're not going to stop me from fulfilling that promise. In fact, the promise was for you. And... The way you disqualify yourself from the promise is by setting yourself up against me. 
So anyway, that's not, I just want to say to you, that's not a good idea. And watch this. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Saul mourned for, Samuel rather, mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted, look at this. The Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. I mean, I just, I'm like old school, so I'm like, the Bible says it, the Bible means it, and my faith and logic is not trying to explain it away because it makes me uncomfortable, so I can hold in the tension that God is perfect and sinless and doesn't make mistakes, but God needed to console himself over him choosing Saul. Now, now when, you, when, you, when you study the word regret, it, it's a fascinating, uh, you know, situation because it, it's, it's, it's like, it's almost like God is saying, there, there, God, it, it's going to be all right. Like, you know, like, like, and so it's like, wow. And, you know, that, that's, and so God, you know, chooses someone to replace him. So it, it's like, if you don't participate with the plans that God has for you, he'll replace you. He'll replace me. It's that simple. And, and the thing that God is, is so interesting about God, and Peter made reference to this in, in his teaching earlier, is that like God, he destroyed the temple. God is not a hoarder. You know, like you haven't wore it for like six years. You don't, it's like, you don't, you, you just need it. You have to have it. God is like, throw that out, throw that out, throw him out, <laughs> throw her out, throw them all out. Like if something is not going to serve its vocation, God's done with it. God ordered the destruction of his own temple that he created. And he used to live in. God said, okay, eh, no longer serves his purpose. It's obsolete. Kill it. God did not have an emotional attachment to that building. God is not emotionally attached to dead things. You should not be emotionally attached to dead things, dead ideas, dead relationships, and things that will only sabotage your success in the kingdom. Because, for example, if you have a mission to broken people, then you can't surround yourself with broken people because they will suck the life out of you and kill you. If you have a mission to broken people, you have to surround yourself with people who are full so that they can help you with broken people. Many times we have surrounded ourselves with the wrong company. Okay. Ways to sabotage your mission and then we're going to have lunch. Be big in your own eyes. <laughs> Fear the people you are called to lead. Don't have a personal relationship with God. <laughs> it's like, what have you learned today? How to fail. <laughs> it's like, don't be genuinely repentant. There's a typo on there. I'm sorry. Don't be genuinely repentant. In other words, manage your image not the essence of who you are. How do people see me? 
Focus more on image than essence, which is the, 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 the actual, um, if our time, if our time, like the time we live in right now, like this time, would be marked by one thing, one of the primary things I would say that our culture and our time is marked by is the focus on image, not essence. People are focused on when someone Googles them, what comes up, not who they really are. People would rather look strong than be strong, look rich than be rich, look smart than be smart. And I could go on and on and on and on. People would rather have the appearance of a good marriage. People would rather look happy than have joy. People would, ra they would rather look busy than be productive. I, I could go on and on, which I'm not going to do. But, but that is the thing that marks this age in this time frame. And we as kingdom citizens who are on mission have to operate in a different spirit. Okay? What I have shared with you is simple ways in which, if you want to, <laughs> you could destroy your life. Like, what did you learn at the missions intensive? How to destroy my life. You know, like, and then I learned about a new covenant that's good news or something like that. But, but I, I am trying to say this to us because inside the covenant of the new covenant and the new creation and the new temple and the better mediator and the better promises, to me it's crazy if we expect less from a better covenant. That's like you got a better job and get paid less money. That, to me, that's not a better job. So this new covenant should produce more inside and out. But this is my, my last and this is my literal closing is that when you discover the specific expression of your mission, you have clear objectives and you have clear instructions so that you could march forward. And that's my prayer for you, that God would make clear the next season of your life. Because we don't come just to hear biblical truth, biblical truth, biblical truth, biblical truth, biblical truth, and then do nothing. What is your assignment? I can't do your assignment. Those are your kids. I'm not going to watch them. Maybe if you go on a date, I will. But you know what I'm saying. This is your assignment. What is it that God has for you? And here's the beauty of this. When this happens together, imagine you're doing what you're supposed to do. And you're doing what you're supposed to do. And he's doing what he's supposed to do. And now we have momentum. Woo! Now we have the wind to our sails. Now we're actually going somewhere. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for just what you're doing. Just the movement in our hearts toward you, your movement toward us. And we just say that we are not going to be participating with any self-sabotaging ideas, relationships, patterns, practices, behaviors. But we want to fulfill the mission that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.